Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. Welcome to the David McWilliams podcast, the podcast that aims to make economics accessible, uncomplicated, and as relevant to your life as possible. This week, because I've just come back from Germany, we're going to talk about Germany, its role in Europe, and what I would call old, more Germanic parts of Europe, what used to be called Middle Europa, Middle Europe. What's going on there and why it's relevant. Before we begin, I want to just mention that this episode is brought to you thanks to our Patreon supporters. And to help support the content and perhaps more importantly to unlock exclusive comment and scenes and footage and episodes, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. John, how are you, man? Very good. Busy all week. Yeah, you're working hard, aren't you? Uh, yeah, it's it's the usual thing of uh, a bit like yourself and coming up to the Doki Book Festival, but I'm also going on holidays and just trying to get stuff done. You know yourself. Yeah. And it's, and it's the, great. It's also the freelancer's dilemma. Anybody who works for themselves will know this dilemma, which is you say yes to everything. Absolutely. You can't, <laughs> can't afford to say no. And then you yeah. end up having deadlines, deadlines. So you do, you've got nothing on for a while and then suddenly you're slammed. That's exactly what happened this year. Quite an early part, and now say yes to everything. You go out and you, you kind of get as much work in as possible, and then you just bind you know it's, called? it's called the hustle, man. Yeah, gotta be yeah. all, gotta be hustling all you the time. Do it. Well, listen, this week I've just come back from Germany, and I think what we should do is we talk about Germany in the context of a it being the most important country in Europe, b it being a country that is emerging as politically as powerful as it is economically. Yeah. So many years ago, the German chancellor, Willy Brandt, who was a social democratic chancellor, coined this very brilliant expression, which was describing Germany after the Second World War, not having the permission to lead, nor giving itself the permission to lead after the Holocaust and the Nazis. And he said, Germany is a, an economic giant, but a political pygmy. So that it was the one country in the world that has huge economic power. Well, itself and Japan, actually. Yeah, yeah. Huge economic power, 
but no aspirations to match that politically because it was afraid of itself. And now it seems to me that 30 years after the fall of the Berlin Wall, which is this year, it's amazing, it's 30 yeah, years yeah, ago, I know. Germany is beginning the process of becoming a significant political power again. And I think this is a pivot. This is an issue that people will have to figure out and come to terms with. Yeah, it's a fascinating time, actually. Let me ask you a question. Where were you when the Berlin Wall came down? I was actually, I can tell you exactly where I was. I was in Belgium. Right. And I was really, really pissed off because the Berlin Wall came down. Everybody in my house, right? We were, we were, oh, you were studying over there at the time. Yeah, everyone in the house got into a car and drove to Germany. And I had an inter, a medical for the Central Bank of Ireland. Okay. And I had to do it. And I had to actually come home that day. So as ah, all Jesus. the people, as all the people in our house got into the two cars and drove to Berlin to witness the fall of the Berlin Wall. Wow. I got into a train, an Aer Lingus flight, and was uh, at some bloody medical in Dublin that afternoon. If you had missed that medical, would you have? I, well, I probably I mightn't have got the job. Yeah. Well, actually, well, again, the mammy looms large. Oh yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. I was, I was you saying, just have a proper job. I was saying, I was saying, you have to go see. I was basically there was a war between seeing the most significant political moment of my life before the Berlin Wall, <laughs> or telling my mammy that I actually went on the hop for the medical for the good job in the bank and didn't get the job. And I was afraid of my mammy more. Oh, she'd go. Bananas. So anyway, so that was it, and. Uh, and I, I, interestingly, I'd spent the entire summer in Berlin, the summer of yeah. 1989. And I'd actually gone on an extraordinary journey from East Berlin to Prague through the old DDR into Czechoslovakia wow. to look at or to the commemoration of the end of the Prague Spring, the invasion of the Soviet Union, yeah. which yeah. was on, I think, August 28th of 1969. And I went there on August 29th, 8th of 1989 to look at the commemoration. And it was extraordinary because there was about 300 protesters on Wenceslas Square. And I'd say about a thousand cops were bussed in. And I've never seen people getting beaten up like I saw. Oh, really? And it was, it was, I was the most shocking thing I've ever witnessed. And then I went into a bar and of course, Czechoslovakia was one of the really, really austere communist countries. So Hungary was a bit more liberal. Czechoslovakia was very austere. We were chatting in the bar and the guy said to me, a guy said to me, he said, you thought there was about 300 demonstrators? He said there was about 100 demonstrators, 200 agents provocateurs from the state pretending to be demonstrators and this regime is not going anywhere. And four months later, the regime was gone. Yeah. So it's amazing. How the, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so the interesting, I was totally immersed in that part of the world at the time. Um, and that's where I was and I watched the Berlin Wall on TV, like everybody else, yeah, yeah. whereas my mates all went and actually witnessed it. God, that's a killer. It is, is a killer. Yeah. It is a killer. But it was, it was a very interesting time. I've always been, I've learned German. I've always been fascinated by, by German culture, high culture and low culture. I spent a lot of time learning the language. I've spent a lot of time traveling around the country. I like Germany. I like the people. I actually feel that they get a very bad rap. Uh, particularly from the Brits, and we tend to suffer a bit of that yeah. anti-German sort of don't mention the war bullshit feeling that the Brits have continued to ferment yeah. for years. 
Um, and every time I go back there, like my daughter, as you know, is in college there now yeah. in Berlin. And my son, Carl, went to school in Germany for a year in That's the Eiffel nice. over, over beside Luxembourg. So, yeah, we... We he liked. was kind of in the boonies, wasn't he? He was, yeah. <laughs> Poor lad. He was in he was in a really charming family and so had no television and so had no internet. <laughs> and she so lived in uh, and it was it was good. So anyway. How was your trip to, to you were well, there all last week? I was there all last week. I was given a speech on Wednesday, but on Tuesday I had to find a flat or to sign for a flat for Lucy, my daughter. And listeners from Dublin will be absolutely shocked that we signed for a one-bedroom flat. Mm-hmm. One bedroom in Prenzlauerberg, one of the nicest parts of Berlin. Right. The rent, 570 euros a month. Wow. One-bedroom flat. Which, which would is, be about 1,500 here or something. About 1,500, well, like 570 euros a month rent and then about 130-odd euros bills per month. Like your heating, your okay. electricity, your telephone, your internet all coming up to 700 max, but of which the rent is 570. I mean, we've talked about this before. Was it hard to get? Yeah. Well, did we get lucky? Yes. But that's what Germans are paying. And this is why I keep coming back to all the time, unless we get this apartment, housing, accommodation thing right in this country, we are going to lag behind other countries. So just tell us about that area. Is that, that would be the equivalent of? Well, Prenzlauerberg would be equivalent of, I'd say Rathmines. Oh, right. Jesus. But much, much nicer than Rat Mines yeah, ever yeah. was, right? Uh, Prenzlauerberg was old East Germany, East Berlin, right? Yeah. And what you've noticed very strange about Berlin is the following, is that uh, the middle was entirely destroyed. About 90% was destroyed. And most of West Berlin was destroyed by aerial bombardment. Yeah. But big parts of old East Berlin, like Prenzlauerberg, were not destroyed. And I asked why this was. Because it's weird, because the, 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 it's, it's old German yeah. architecture from the turn of the century. What happened was Berlin was bombed by the air, mainly by the Allies from the West. All the bombing came in from the West. The yeah. Russians were a ground uh, offensive, right? And the Allied pilots were afraid of being shot down over Berlin. So they dropped their bombs as close, all in the West, because they didn't want to go into the centre to, to drop right, in, the early, okay. in the early stages. So that's why you see lots of West Berlin was obliterated first because British and American bombers wanted to get the hell out because they were afraid. Yeah. So yeah, they just got over, the minute they saw the lights of Berlin, or the minute they knew they were over dropping. the target, they just dropped and they fucked off again, <laughs> uh, which is why most of old, old West Berlin was totally and right. obliterated. And then, of course, the centre was obliterated when the Soviets came in and bombed the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So Prenzlauerberg is an amazingly beautiful area. There's basically, there's Prenzlauerberg and Friedrichshain, which are on the east side. Uh, which are kind of up-and-coming areas, are really nice mm. areas. And then in Kreuzberg as well, and in Neukölln and all these other areas. But the point is, we went over, signed, sat down with a, a German rental company. But again, it's it's a massive big co-op. Massive, massive right. big co-op. Yeah, it's yeah. not some guy extracting rent all the time. The guy couldn't speak any English. And this is typical again. You go to Berlin, if you meet people of our age who are from East Berlin, from the DDR, they will not speak English. Mm. But luckily for me, he was in a great mood because Union Berlin, which is the old East Berlin soccer team, won a game on Monday night. Right. And they are now in the Bundesliga for the first time ever. Oh, so your okay. man was a Union fan. So I got, because Hertha Berlin are the other football team. Right. Which are the West Berliner team, which have yeah, been yeah. in the... And uh, so your man was in great form. 
And the <laughs> fact that I, I could actually discuss Union versus Hertha with him, he was he was loving that. And he just had signed away. So sometimes the love of football gets in. But <laughs> That's great. Yeah, but... Um, and again, then what I did is my usual, I hired a Vespa, which I always do. I know you drive Brilliant. a Vespa. I drive Vespa, they're and fantastic. And I zoomed, and again, it's the only way to see a city, zooming around on the Vespa. Uh, it was it was good. But again, what was interesting was it was also the week where the results of the European election. Yeah, talk to me about that. Who were you talking to and, and what were you kind of finding? Well, I tell you what was very interesting is I get in the taxi on the way in, I was talking to the taxi driver again. Football, but he said to me two things. I was asking about the alternative for Deutschland. Yeah. This is the new kind of right-wing party. Some people call them Nazis, people call them fascists, but they're very much a right-wing, anti-European, anti-immigration party. And they're incredibly strong in the province of Brandenburg. Yeah, which the is UKIP the province, of, of Germany. The UKIP of Germany, which is the province of Brandenburg, which is the province around Berlin. Right. Old East Germany. They're very strong in Saxony and they're very strong in Mecklenburg. These are all the old East... East German right. provinces. And uh, he said something to me quite interesting. He said, and I thought it was a lovely frame. He said, and I also was chatting about the amount of trees they have because it's an extraordinarily green city. And he said, well, in Germany, in Berlin, we know exactly how many trees we have, which is, and he gave me the quote, 431,000 trees. <laughs> yes. He knew that? He knew it. He knew it. And I Googled it and he's, he was right. You can Google because the Germans count all the trees. This is, this, is Germany, an, what? this is an organized society. But he also said, we don't know how many immigrants we have here. And he was right. making the okay. point to me that immigration is an issue and it's an issue that affects the average person. Not, he said, necessarily in Old West Berlin, but he says all around this area. So he was just saying, Look, don't dismiss this as being a bunch of nutters. This is a real issue. And we really feel, well, he didn't say we, he said part of Germany feels very strongly that immigration is a big issue that they haven't come to terms with. And the interesting thing is if you look at the way Germany voted. So tell us about the the vote last last week. Because so the AFD did really well. Who are they? To give us a rundown of them. Like all over Europe, what you're finding is the centre ground, although still the most significant bloc in most countries, like the centre-left and the centre-right, is losing out to other parties. Mm. In Britain, Brexit Party is the place that they're losing out to. In France, the National Front. In in Italy, it's the Northern League. In Germany, it's quite different. In Western Germany, old West Germany, yeah. the Greens are incredibly strong and did extremely well. But in old East Germany, the two parties did well. One is called Die Linke, which is the old Communist Party. Okay, right. a extreme left-wing party, which has always got a small base there in former East Germany. But the party that's emerging now from Eastern Germany is this party called the Alternative for Deutschland. And this is an anti-immigrant, anti-EU, Germany first party. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Interestingly, like a lot of things in Germany, it comes from a very bizarre background. It comes from an academic union that wrote a letter opposing the European Central Bank's idea that the European Central Bank would bail out Italy or Greece, particularly okay. Greece. Yeah. So in Germany, there is a lot a lot of economists feel that the Germans should never have gotten rid of the Deutschmark. They should never have gotten rid of the Bundesbank and the ECB is in some way a institution that is overestimating its mandate by particularly in the debt crisis, trying to bail out Greece. Okay, at the end of the day, the ECB didn't bail yeah, out Greece. Yeah. So at the start, there was a letter written and there were academics and then they were going to the European the Constitutional Court in Germany. Just so you know, the thing about Germany, the most important institution in Germany is the Constitutional Court in Karlsruhe. And that protects the citizens mm. against the state. Mm. And the reason it's incredibly powerful is because Hitler didn't protect the citizens against the state. The citizens had no power under Hitler, and ultimately Hitler was somebody who tore up the German constitution, did what he liked. So when they want to put in the Federal Republic of Germany in 1949, they said every citizen has a right to go to the constitutional court. Constitutional court is incredibly independent, mm. most independent court in the world, and it will protect the citizen against the state. So these guys went to the constitutional court and said the ECB is acting against the German citizen. From there comes a movement of people saying, well, hold on a second, Germany pays all the bills in the EU. We had the German currency, really, the Deutschmark is now, yeah. the, the, is now the euro, et cetera, et cetera. So, so it builds from something small, mm. but it finds fertile ground, the anti-immigration, anti-EU message in the former East Germany. Yeah. And that's where it's strong. So you've got the big cities like Magdeburg, Leipzig, Dresden, Berlin, and then further north, Stralsund, and all these places. And is there a, is there a Farage type character in the AFT? There are a number. There are a number of characters. There's no one unique standout leader. Mm. But what it does do, it gets you to think about Germany in the context of East and West. Yeah. So when you're in Berlin or when you're our generation, you can think East Berlin or East Germany, communist, the Cold War, the Berlin Wall. But when you dig a bit deeper into German history, you realize there always has been an extraordinary difference between. West Germany, the old Western Germany we yeah. knew as West Germany, and the rump East Germany. I call it rump because it was cut off from its hinterland because most of East Germany before the Second World War was in Poland and in parts of what is now Ukraine, 
which was East Prussia, yeah. which was a huge sector of Germany. Those people in the main now live in and around Eastern Germany, and they form a different type of Germany. So what you see is that in the last election, the one last week, the Greens do amazingly well in the old West Germany, and the right wing do amazingly well in the old East Germany. Mm. Now, people are looking at it and saying, oh, well, this is because of the Cold War. It's not. We've got to go back and back into history. And, you know, th- this actually goes right back to the Middle Ages. This Even goes before the Middle Ages. What I, if you go to where German wine comes from, the Mosul, right? Yeah. Okay. Around Trier, or in the very, very, very west part of West Germany. Bit of Blue Nun and, and Black Tower. Black huh? Tower, all that stuff. Exactly, exactly. You know, uh, don't knock it. I actually, <laughs> we had know, many a good night in that, Mac. I remember our intercert result night uh, on the steps of the metal, not the metals, down at uh, White Rock, down at White Rock, where Peter O'Brien, a cousin of mine, set one of the hedges on fire. Do That's right, that? the whole side of the, the, the whole side of the thing, yeah. He said, from a very, very good family. And we were drinking uh, Blue Nun. We were. We were. We were. No, actually, Black Tower was actually a slightly better version. <laughs> and I think... We splashed out that night. And I think uh, most of my Black Tower ended up, uh, yeah, the usual. 15-year-old, yeah, I'll have a puke now. I'll drink a whole <laughs> and have a puke. Anyway, but let's come back to German history, right? Our own personal history, we can, we can, we can riff about <laughs> many times. By the way, just so you know, John and I have had a very, very typical Irish teenage misspent youth on first name terms. Mess, with, messy youth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love gives a field, a field to drink in, or a bush shelter. Well, yeah. it's very partial. Of course, they, they now call it prinks. Prinks, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, our prinks were in field. Anyway, come back to, to, to Germany. Germany, the Rhine, if you look at, geography is really interesting in economics and history, Geography determines everything. The thing about Germany is it's incredibly flat. So north of Bavaria, Germany belongs to this great northern European, almost chalk-like topology. So it's flat. So it means the Germans are easy to invade, right? It's got no natural barriers. Think of a country like Italy. Italy has got the Alps around it. Spain has got the Pyrenees around it. Okay, it's very easy to invade Germany. It's got no natural boundaries. Its natural boundaries are its rivers. So rivers are really important. So the Rhine, yeah, which basically marks Germany to the le- to the west. Yeah, the Danube to the south. Yeah, and then at various stages the Elbe to the east, and further over that the Oder to the east. So these are really important to frame your heads. The Romans, we forget, the Romans loved Germany, right? The mm. Romans came to Germany. The Romans planted vines in Germany. You know, this idea that German wine, right? And the Romans settled all around the Rhine, okay? In the western part of Germany. This then became the Holy Roman Empire from your friend Charlemagne. Yeah. This was a large Catholic Christian Germany, okay? Mm. Christian Germany, Catholic Germany, all the western part of Germany that we now know. So you've got Bavaria, you've got Baden-Wittenberg, you've got Rhineland, all those areas, the big industrial parts of Germany. Yeah, of course, Charlemagne's main battle was with the Saxons. Yes, exactly. So your your Charlemagne thing, it's a funny one, that one. Yeah, it is. Because what I found interesting about Charlemagne is that he seems to be the, the guy who first tried to integrate Europe through well, through might as much as uh, as anything else, but he was really into creating systems and standards, which is very much like what Europe does. 
But yeah. that's he was the first guy to do this in in around eight hundred. So let's, um, in the ninth century. So let's start with Charlemagne. Mm. So the Holy Roman Empire goes from northwest Germany, yeah, right, in a massive big arc all the way down through France, okay, and all the way down into Italy, and it right, yeah. So this is basically what the European Union looked like in 1957. Yes, right. Yeah, the west part of Germany is Catholic. It's rich, it's tolerant, it's always been liberal, and it's always looked westward. In contrast, so that's the old West Germany. Yeah. In contrast, Eastern Germany is Prussian Germany. First of all, it's the Teutonic Knights, and then Prussian Germany, and they extended all the way out into East Prussia. It's Protestant. It is defined in the same way as West Germany is defined by its relationship with Rome, Catholicism and France. Yeah. East Germans and East German people are defined by the relationship with their neighbors, the Slavs. Yeah. Because they were always fighting with the Slavs. They were always occupying Slavic lands. And this idea of the Dragnak Austin, which was Bismarck's later idea of moving to the East, there's always been an infatuation in the Prussian mind with the East, whereas this is not shared. So you can look at the Germans as a nation who are divided by a common language. There's two nations in Germany. Yeah. There's the Catholic nation of the West, who are tolerant, more chilled out, more liberal, and the Protestant nation of the East, who are tend to be much more militaristic, historically, much more likely to try and drag the rest of Germany into conflict with the Slavs in the East, and tend to be the Prussian side it- of Germany. So, so this divide between the Protestants and Catholics and East and West, this was kind of more defined now and played out in the in the elections, the European elections. Well, I just think the first thing is for us is to realize it's a mistake to see the Germans as one race. They're two very distinct types of Germans. So much so that when Bismarck unified Germany in 1871, because Germany in the Middle Ages was like a failed state. It was like Syria. People don't Realize this. Yeah. The Thirty Years' War was exactly like the Syrian War this time. Massive ethnic cleansing. Give us a year on that, the Thirty Year War. From 1630 to about 1660, about 1620 to about 1650, right? Again, remember I came back, Germany's very easy to invade. Yeah. So it's on the flat plain. So people, the big powers were Sweden, Austria, France, okay, came in. It was a Thirty Years' War, it was a a sectarian war over the Reformation. So the Protestant principalities of central Germany, mm-hmm. central and eastern Germany, were fighting against the Austrians from the south, the French from the west, and they were supported by the Swedes from the north. But it was an ex- it was exactly like Syria now. Exactly, the destitution in, 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 in we we've no conception of what happened in the Thirty Years' War. But I'll take for example a city like Magdeburg. Okay, which was a very, very pretty city mm-hmm. on the Oder River. Okay, uh, it sorry on the Elbe River. It had a population of twenty thousand before the Thirty Year War. It had a population of four hundred after it. Holy moly! So, yeah, so it's like Syria, right? So was that was that through ethnic cleansing? Ethnic cleansing, ethnic cleansing or, based or did they sectarianism. become refugees? They became refugees, but the vast majority were killed. All right, so it was a huge, a huge destitution was visited upon Germany. Then what you see is the emergence of the Prussians as the dominant force from the east. They unified Germany under Bismarck 
a couple of hundred years later. Okay. Bismarck then has a culture war. This is the, the West versus East idea. Mm. What's called the Kulturkampf, where he turned on the Catholics of West Germany because he thought they were too independent of this new Prussian Germany, which was ruled from Berlin, which had always been the capital of Prussia, but never the capital of Germany, because Germany didn't exist. So you've got these two things. And how it plays out now, mm. it's always played out. So, for example, in 1933, who voted for Hitler in the main? Protestants, not Catholics. Right. Protestants were much more likely to be in the Nazi party than Catholics. People don't know this, right? Right. But the way thing the Germans, they have lovely maps because they do, they're great at data, okay? <laughs> so you can see the maps. And they can trees. And it's, pla- yeah, they do. And it's playing out now, who votes right wing? The old Prussian part of Germany. The same people who voted for Hitler. Right. The same people who were behind Bismarck. Who votes for the Greens, the tolerant, cosmopolitan, global, your Catholic West Germans. So you've got these, these things play out all the time in Germany. And that's what I keep saying. You know, it was Churchill who said America and Britain were two countries divided by a common language. I think Germany is two distinct countries divided by a common language, are unified by a common language. So people think think they're the same, but they're not. And is there in any way in, in the future, do you see a division in Germany? No, 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 no. I think there's, 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 there's enough in common. Right. Unlike people in, in the nor- Northern Ireland, the North of Ireland, Ulster, whatever you want to call it, the six counties, they've, they've fixed the religious thing. Okay? Right. It's not a big deal. Okay. Yeah. But it's a deep cultural strain that's still there. So when you talk about religion in Germany, it's not an adherence to, but it's a cultural echo of the past. Yeah. And again, the Germany that is Catholic and tolerant and liberal is the Germany of the Romans of Charlemagne, of the Holy Roman Empire. Yeah. And the Germany that is now aggressively anti-immigrant is the Germany of Bismarck and the Germany of the East and the Germany of the Prussians. And that is fascinating. And when you look at it like that, then you really begin to understand this superpower that is centred right in the middle of Europe. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Now, if you like our content and you want to support us, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. If you become a patron, you can unlock all sorts of interesting new content, interviews I'm going to be doing, ticket giveaways for those interviews, those conversations with really interesting people, experiences that you can't get anywhere else. And this will ensure that the podcast remains ad-free and you can get all of this stuff for the price of a pint.